0: Welcome to Scrappy ABM, your source for groundbreaking approaches that don't break the bank. ABM shouldn't cost 200k in tech to even get started. So if you want to get started with ABM or make your program even better without investing a massive amount of money, you're in the right place. Each week we'll hear from the brightest minds in the marketing world who are redefining ABM, achieving incredible results with untraditional methods, limited resources, and a whole lot of creativity. This isn't a show about how much money you can spend on fancy tech or overhyped tools. Instead, it's about celebrating creative problem solving and the scrappiness it takes to get ABM right. We'll dive into how these marketing leaders built robust ABM strategies with limited resources, revealing the actionable insights that led to their biggest wins. So if you're a marketer ready to challenge the status quo and build a scalable, efficient, effective marketing strategy, Scrappy ABM is the show for you. So, if you're ready to discover ABM strategies that are lean, impactful, and utterly transformative, let's dive into this episode.
1: Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandi Starr, and we have another amazing episode for you today. I am joined by Mason Cosby. Mason serves as the Director of Demand Generation at Sales Assembly. Mason specializes in building scrappy ABM programs on low budgets that drive high impact. Serving as the marketing lead at numerous boutique bootstrapped businesses, Mason has sourced over $2.5 million in the past two years, driving an impressive 8x ROI. Welcome to Revenue Rehab. Mason, your session begins now.
0: Brandy, I cannot tell you how excited I am to be here today and to uh, get the opportunity to kind of decompress some of my revenue frustrations.
1: Uh, Well, that's why we come to the couch. You know, I say it's like therapy, but for marketers. So I am excited to have you here. Um, I had mentioned before, I've followed you. On LinkedIn for quite some time, and this is surprisingly the first time that uh, we've actually met. Uh, so I feel like we're old friends because oh, yeah. I, you know, follow all your content. So if you're not already following Mason, definitely, uh, you know, look him up on LinkedIn. We'll link to him in the show notes. But great person on LinkedIn to follow for great information. Um, but before we dive into our topic, I like to break the ice with a little woo-saw moment that I call buzzword banishment. So tell me what buzzword would you like to get rid of forever?
0: It's going to be ironic given my job title, but I actually would love to get rid of the buzzword of just driving demand. And again, I know it's going to feel ironic, um, but I just... One of, the, one of the things that I talked about, actually, in my interview with Sales Assembly, I, I started this role about two months ago. Um, I, I was very intentional to not use any jargon or any buzzwords because I was speaking to an executive team. And I just feel like so many people right now are just kind of putting together the overall B2B word salad under the umbrella that is, we're doing this to drive demand. And it's like, okay, what does that mean? And then you get hit with that word salad again. So I just, I think if we could get rid of the umbrella term and actually like talk about what we do, we'll get more to the actual point.
1: Yeah, because it has gotten to the point where, it, it does carry so many different meanings and I can't remember which episode it was, but I was talking to someone and they were saying something about demand and I went directly to that top of funnel ad spend, you know, search, all of those things, not because that's the actual definition, but that's the most common definition. And, you know, he was really talking about the whole infrastructure of demand generation and all of it. And, you know, I had to pause for a second because I was like, I've actually lost like what the definition is. And you know, <laughs> I kind of slap myself on the hand because I'm like, I know better, like that. It's not just, you know, all the top of funnel efforts of, of driving attention or attracting people. So I am with you there. Umbrella terms in general usually tend to, you know, lose their impact. Oh, yeah. Um, so now that we've gotten that off our chest, uh, tell me what brings you to Revenue Rehab today?
0: Well, another jargony buzzword is account-based marketing. And I, I just think so many marketers have lost the point when it comes to account-based marketing. Um, and they either go one of two directions. They either think it's just ads. So they're just running ads and they run it up against a list, or they think it's sales. <laughs> and the reality is it's it's neither. And I, I'm a firm believer in this idea that account-based marketing is less of a strategy, and it's more of the appropriate mindset that B2B marketers need to be taking as they think about how do we actually functionally grow a business. So That's why I'm here today.
1: Okay. Yeah. And I I agree with you. Like, it really is a mindset. Because if you look at B2B companies, there are some that really have an account-based mindset. They are like, these are the people we want to go after for these reasons. And, you know, I have one client, they have a target account list. And if the account's not on that list, they do not care at all. Like, that's yeah. great that they went to this webinar or downloaded this white paper. Like, you know, good for them. We got great content. We don't care. Mm-hmm. Me, that is an account based mindset. Like, these are our people. Uh, the fact that you sell two accounts does not mean that you're, you know, in that account based mindset. Like, if you're trying to get all of the accounts or, you know, whoever you can attract, that's not ABM. Nope. Uh, so I'm definitely with you there and and I want to come back to, I love the term scrappy ABM because I think that is a nuance uh, to how you approach ABM. But before we jump into that, I believe in setting intentions. They give us focus, they give us purpose, and most important, it gives our audience an understanding of what they should expect from our discussion. So tell me, what's your best intention for the discussion?
0: What well, I hope people get from this conversation is that abm is a highly accessible and highly effective strategy that you can start to run today for like $30 a month.
1: Okay, um you know, marketing budgets are currently tight with, you know, some of the economic uncertainty, another buzzword. Uh and so 30 bucks, you know, a month or 30 bucks a day like Definitely feels doable. Mm-hmm. Um, so understanding that this is an option. And I think that that is key, because when I have talked to some clients in the past where ABM could be a strong play for them, it is always the assumption of, we don't have the infrastructure, the resources, the team, the budget, like, we just gotta you know go one to as many as possible. Yep. Um, and so let's jump back and first talk about what do you 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 use the term scrappy ABM? What does that really mean?
0: Yeah, so I mean, I, I view scrappy ABM as running an account based program without an ABM platform, without a gifting platform, without um, this intent data, without really much. The programs that I have run that have been most successful only really had a CRM, marketing automation. And then the ability to get a target account list outside of those pieces of technology, which even that you could argue is not even super necessary. If you are super, super low budget, but like most B2B tech companies that I know or B2B companies in general have a CRM, they've got some form of marketing automation. They have the ability to get a list somehow some way. So when I think about it, that's what I'm getting to is it's accessible And it's not, it is not cost prohibitive.
1: Okay. So I I love that um, because whether you're a small entity or a huge enterprise, I think anything that you can do with the basics is, has a higher likelihood of, you know, getting accepted as an approach because it's, you know, path of least resistance And opportunity for success. So when you're going in and wanting to do something different, and it doesn't require a whole or, you know, org restructure and new budgets, etc. That's always a win. Mm -hmm. Um, But tell me, what can we really get on, you know, 30 bucks, like how, you know, that seems like there's scrappy and then there's, can we really do something with lunch money?
0: Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you asked. I'm so sorry. I actually lied. It's $32 a month. It's you
1: just blew the bank. I know. <laughs> um
0: you can get a podcast hosting platform called Spreaker for $7 a month that gets you a hundred hours. And then you can get a tool like StreamYard that is $25 a month. And that's not even on annualized contracts. If you really wanted to commit the dollars, you can, you know, you can get a slight discount on that monthly rate. But again, on a month-to-month contract, $7 for podcast hosting, $25 for live streaming. And the idea is relatively simple. You invite your target accounts onto a podcast. And you make your target accounts and those decision makers the hero of a conversation. You focus all on them, on their incredible ways in which they're growing their business or the ways... Again, you want to kind of tie it back to your business as well. So when I ran this at an agency, I, we were talking about marketing growth strategies. So again, what are the strategies that you're running today? And then also you ask the questions around what are the challenges you're running into? And essentially what you can do as a, as a business leader is kind of run a pseudo discovery call framed as a podcast episode. What you end up doing is building a one-to-one relationship with your target accounts. And the other thing is if you can start to get really highly influential individuals on the show as well, within your market, your target accounts may also listen to the show. So again, that's a more one-to-many play building that audience, but again, getting really niche, getting really specific. What we're seeing is that target accounts often have similar problems because we're all selling the solution to a problem. So again, If you have, let's say 50 guests that are on target accounts, you've got a 500 person target account list. It's highly likely that those accounts and those leaders know one another, and they're going to share that podcast episode. So your target accounts will also start to listen to your show. So again, it's a one-to-one and one-to-many type play. And from there, the rest of this is free. So we can pause there for a moment to kind of chat through that. But the rest of this is, is actually relatively, actually not relatively, it's all free from here.
1: Okay, so, yeah, let's dig into some of the things that I hear as objections to this approach. So, you know, the first thing when I talked to Lacey, I'm trying to think what episode that was, but I talked to Lacey Miller in episode 51 and we talked about TikTok Mm -hmm. and how that there is some significant opportunity for B2B with TikTok. And one of the things we talked about is whose face do you put on there? And when it comes to this sort of thing around podcasting, uh, you know, being a podcast host and being a consultant, like so far, we haven't taken the approach where we're, you know, getting guests that are our target accounts, but even just the conversations we do have opens doors with our target accounts because we are talking about the problems that they have. So I definitely believe in, you know, kind of the underlying piece. But Not every company has someone that A would have the time and B would have, you know, the air quotes and I use that really loosely personality to be able to host something meaningful enough that it's actually going to work. So, what do you say to that objection? So,
0: you're telling me that you don't have the time to talk to our most valuable potential customers about their problems and their challenges and how they are looking to actually continue to succeed.
1: Um, you know, this is uh, talking to the right person when it comes to feel <laughs> like, how do we not make this a thing? Um, and, and I agree, which is, you know, we had this podcast on the back burner for almost three years because my excuse was I don't have time.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: then it very much, you know, I had a, a consulting firm that we worked with um, that they said pretty much that exact same thing to me. And I was like, oh, yeah, we got to do this thing now. Yep. Uh, <laughs> So I, I get it. Um, but when you look and do the research around starting a podcast, running a podcast, you see a lot of the warnings around the level of effort that it requires beyond the conversation. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is the publishing and the editing and the booking and the, you know, all of the stuff beyond the conversation, because a discovery call is just. You know, somebody schedules it and you get on and have a phone call. Um, So any advice for people that are like, I hear you and this could probably work, but.
0: Yeah. So I, I also run a podcast that is a personal podcast separate from my day job. And I also do some side like advising work. So I have a 40 hour a week job. I have my own personal podcast. I do advising work. And I am a present husband and eventually soon to be father in August. So I hear the time commitment, but I look at it and what I say is because it's actually just become a part of my, what I I view as my overall career matrix, which is a very fancy term of saying all of this kind of plays together in making sure that I support and I, I view my job as supporting the larger B2B tech organization, sorry, B2B tech world. So In my day job at Sales Assembly, I market this sales learning and development platform for B2B tech companies. In my podcast, I'm interviewing B2B tech marketing leaders on how they built their careers and helping them hire talent. My advising work, I'm often working with B2B tech companies. So again, all of it kind of goes together. My podcast becomes the fuel through which I actually create a lot of LinkedIn content because I'm posting on LinkedIn sometimes upwards of four to five times a day. Right now, I've been averaging about three. So all of that is time-consuming. 100% correct, but it's worth it. Because how did we start this podcast? You've been following me, and I think you're an incredibly respectable individual, and you're recommending people come follow me because I post on LinkedIn. Like, and a little secret, I didn't exist in B2B four years ago. Like, I thought I was going to be a youth pastor, and I made this transition. So because of the active nature through which I have been building highly relevant, highly practical content, primarily rooted in a podcast. People then view me as somehow like a th- person to follow. So I'm, I'm saying all of that, tying it back. How do we make it simple? I think you live stream it like you are because when you live stream it, the editing is actually relatively easy. People are on. So there's that piece of nobody's going to stop in the middle and say, oh, can we edit that out? Like, because it's live streamed, they'll recover. They'll make themselves better. The second piece is I actually used to do like a 30 minute prep call. I don't do that anymore. The people that I'm speaking with, they're all high up executives. They're all really busy people. So I actually just like coordinate through a LinkedIn DM, send them a calendar invite with an hour and do a live stream. So all it is, is actually for me, because I'm creating so much content, they're finding me through my comments and then we're just scheduling out the hour. So it's just an hour, potentially on a weekly basis. Again, to speak to your most valuable potential customers. Now, you're probably asking the question in your mind. Well, how do we get our target accounts to engage in our LinkedIn content? Because what I just shared is my target accounts are engaging on my LinkedIn content. They're following me, they're engaging, they know who I am. So we can we can go that direction or we can kind of keep on the podcast train.
1: Um You know, I want to go down the LinkedIn direction because I think you've definitely made the point in terms of the podcast piece. And that thought process that you went through is exactly what we did. One of the reasons why we do live stream it is so we don't have to edit. That takes out. That's a lot of the work is in chopping it up and, you know, being a podcast guest on a lot of podcasts. I often hate when some of what I thought were the best things that I said get cut out, you know, on the editing floor. Um, and so it is a whole lot more engaging. Um, I also don't do the pre-call mainly because, you know, one, my schedule's just as busy because I run a business. Yep. Um, but more importantly, a lot of times, you know, when I've been a guest and someone has had that pre-call, we have better conversations in the pre-call because it's organic. And then you get on the podcast and you're trying to get at what you got at last time. And it just, it never flows. And yeah. so I think you really hit the key points there. And the biggest takeaway that I, I want to you know just say out loud is that we make time for what we feel is valuable. And that's what I'm hearing in that, yes, there is a level of effort and a level of time But as marketers and as marketing leaders, we and our teams are spending time on something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've repeated the fact that these are our most valuable contacts at our target account, which is this is the thing that can be the highest priority um, and that there's probably something else that we stop doing to make the time. So let's dig into the social piece um, because, you know, B2B just thinking, you know, and I'm definitely not nearly as active on LinkedIn as you are, but if I look at a post that I make versus that same post posted through our business account, the engagement is night and day. Um, And a lot of times there is this uh, sort of song and dance that people do in How do we bring the right awareness for the brand and elevating the brand's content versus how do we do that for the individuals, um, you know, where engagement is typically higher? So I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on getting people engaging with that LinkedIn content that ties back into the brand.
0: Yeah. Great question. Um, For starters if you are looking at do I prioritize a personal account versus a business account ignore the business account I ran the I ran the marketing of an agency for nearly two years and about a year in I stopped posting on the company account entirely because it just didn't do anything it was a shiny object it was a distraction um, if anybody ever actually I take it back nobody ever asked. <laughs> <laughs> like no one noticed from our team. Nobody's posting there. Nothing's it has gone silent. It's fine. Didn't matter. So I, I'm giving that context to saying, if you have to prioritize, prioritize personal accounts. Um, and I, I, I also want to focus in on when you do eventually get to a point where that is going well, I think you do bring back the company page because if you look at certain companies that have over time prioritized it, it does get engagement, but it was first from what I've noticed, and I don't have any, you know, data that is from LinkedIn supporting this, but it's more of a, an observation over time. When you build up the personal profiles first, the company page grows as a byproduct, and people start to actually notice the company more prime example, I would say Refine Labs was at their height from a social perspective. I think it was back in like mid-2021, early 2022. I think that's what where they were at their height. They had the largest number of team members that they had. They had about a third of their team posting daily, if not or multiple times a week, if not daily on LinkedIn. And that resulted in the Refine Labs page actually getting hundreds of likes and hundreds of comments and really good content. But it started because the team itself focused on building up their own personal presence. So that that's how I would think through it. And then as far as like actually getting your personal presence to grow, it, I don't know about you, but when I first started on LinkedIn, I connected with friends and family and people I knew in college and maybe like old team members. None of them were looking to buy B2B marketing services. So nobody engaged with my content. And again, people have this debate of, you know, you have to post content to build the audience. And what I've actually found works far more effectively and is a repeatable process that anybody can take is having an intentional, clear strategy around how you send out connection requests. Hmm. So when you send out a connection request, somebody that accepts that request automatically becomes a follower of yours. So what I did, and I have been doing this every day for two years and every week I send out the maximum number of connection requests specifically to my target accounts. When I started, I only had a hundred at this point. I don't know what changed, but I've got like 250 to 300 connection requests on a weekly basis. So I'm sending all of that out. And That is a, at first, I didn't know that there were tools. You can actually get tools to to help you with that, that automate some of it. When I started for the first year and a half of doing this, it was an entirely manual process of just like pulling up a list on one screen, pulling up LinkedIn on the other, and going through and connecting with all those people. And it's just a blank connection request. And at first, I said at 100, maybe get 10. I got to a point where I remember one day, um, I got an email from LinkedIn that said I had 300 new connections after sending oh, wow. hundred connections because I'd also created content that like that really took off that day. But I give you that context to say I've done a B tests where I posted the same exact word for word content a year later and it took off, but it was because I had built the audience that would appreciate the content I had created. So again, I would actually focus more on creating some content so that you're not a ghost, but focus more of your time on building your correct audience by connecting with your target accounts And then over time, your content will become more and more relevant within that audience.
1: Okay. And I wanna uh, bring it back a little bit because, uh, like, this is all super interesting. I can go down this path, you know, for hours on end. Um, But I wanna, like, thinking about the ABM strategy, we talked about the first part is engaging with your target accounts, you know, and your target contacts through a podcast. And then you said, that's where we're going to spend our 32 bucks a month and the rest of the process is free. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to hear what your rest of the process looks like for those that are listening and wanting to really, you know, be able to target accounts and drive that business.
0: Yeah. So if you remember, I said CRM, marketing automation, and some way to build a list. Um, There are numerous data enrichment platforms that do offer a free trial. So if you wanted to go with a Zoom Info, if you wanted to go with a Slintel um, or a Seamless, they all offer a a free trial where you can pull an account list. The other thing that I think is a super helpful way to even start an ABM program, if you don't even want to go the free trial route, is look at those deals that have been closed, lost, or delayed, or dark deals that were the ideal fit. Because in that, you have the company, likely the decision-making committee, that was a part of that deal and the way to actually contact them. So, again, you can build a list out of your closed lost, or you can look within your existing CRM, do some specific filtering around, you know, we wanna go after this revenue, this location, this industry, and get as specific as you can. And that builds your target account list. So, again, from the perspective that you've got a CRM, you've got marketing automation, like that's not an additional cost. Now, If we do want to go the route of you don't even have that, you're going to have to get really scrappy. And I, I actually recommend if you're a local type business. So for example, my, my father is the head of school at a local Christian school. There is a B2B organization that sells to the state of Indiana. So what they can do, they probably don't have data enrichment, but what they're probably doing is pulling up Google maps across their entire territory and figuring out what are the locations in which we could actually sell our products to. And then figuring out how to specifically engage. Like there are ways where you can pull this list. You're going to have to get creative. You might have to look at better business bureau. You might have to look at your local chamber of commerce. Like there are ways that's not sexy, but it's scrappy. So again, you can figure out ways to find these lists and from that actually then create engaging programs through which you can create one-to-one relationships with these accounts.
1: Okay, so we get our list um through we'll just say whatever means uh ethical means. Uh <laughs> there are some people that kind of go in different directions. What's next after that?
0: So yeah, I mean, again, if we're if we're in B2B, specifically B2B tech, a lot of our potential customers are going to be on LinkedIn. So that's the LinkedIn connection strategy. So again, building that audience proactively on LinkedIn and creating content that's relevant and engaging for those individuals. So like on LinkedIn, I have roughly 16,000 followers, which is nice and helpful. But the LinkedIn strategy for me, when I think about proactive, it's an account-based strategy. So I literally have a list right now of the sales leaders and the enablement leaders that I am connecting with on a daily basis so that I can be in front of them. And I'm also connecting with their marketing counterparts to showcase the ways in which marketing and sales can cooperate, can support one another, can build scrappy ABM programs. So again, it's really that that next piece is the LinkedIn piece through which you can then build up the audience to then invite people onto a show. Because the other piece is when I first started building my podcast two years ago, I actually a lot of people that said no. They didn't want to be on an early podcast. They didn't know who I was. I was irrelevant in the industry. But now I have some small level of credibility. Somebody thinks I've got decent content here and there that's kind of helpful. And as a result, people say yes a lot more often. I get invited to stuff where my target accounts are. Tomorrow, uh, or not tomorrow, but like I'm going to an event in Chicago where a ton of my target accounts are in person. Would you view that as an account-based strategy? No, I got invited to it. I couldn't have predicted it. But by the nature of the people that I spend time with online, they are either my target accounts or they have the connection to my target accounts. So again, I have just built a sphere of influence that is constantly pointing back to these target accounts so that I am always around and I am always relevant.
1: So thinking about this, because um, I see when I think about, you know, smaller organizations, I definitely see like easy paths to be able to implement this and shift, you know, resources effort to being able to really take, I mean, because this is a really focused strategy that clearly has big wins. Um, thinking about it for larger entities where, you know, they tend to, you know, turn like a cruise ship, uh, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to like a Maserati. Um, like, where? How do we? How do we get buy-in? How do we shift? Because you know, it's one of those things. Can't totally like just shift directions. You know, it's usually we're gonna run a pilot and yeah. you know this little group. So for thinking about larger organizations where taking this ABM approach um, is a little harder to get moving. Any thoughts on how they are able to take what you're saying and be able to leverage this when, you know, there may not be a Mason in their organization that can be the person that's this LinkedIn personality. You know, it's it's more of a machine that's running.
0: Yeah, I've got three answers. So hopefully one of these answers will help somebody. Um, the first one is, as controversial as it is. Don't ask like it's LinkedIn connections. You know, it's, it's not like we're starting first from a podcast perspective. Like this first step is actually building that LinkedIn audience and creating relevant content. You don't necessarily have to ask anybody. Now, Granted in larger organizations where there's more of corporate structure and legal might start to get a little bit concerned. Yeah. Like there may be some of those questions. And I I worked at a company that was 25 and then got acquired by a company that was 600 I had a conversation almost every other week about the posts that I made on LinkedIn. It was just kind of a part of the territory that I eventually got into not because I was posting anything crazy, but it's just like what I said didn't hundred percent align with every single piece of the brand narrative. And that's fine because it was my own personal opinions. So I give you that context to say, don't ask at first people won't even notice. And eventually when people actually start to notice it is likely because it is working and then they start to ask questions around how are you doing that versus why are you doing that? So again, that's the first step. Maybe just don't ask. Second thing, if you, you want to first focus on direction. So again, I, I used to work at a marketing agency and I work at primarily a sales led organization and I, you, you've interviewed my direct supervisor. He is a head of rev ops. Um, Practically, I mean, as I look at what I'm doing within the organization, I'm focused on 80% the right direction and not 100% of my own ideas and execution. Because in reality, as long as we are headed in the right direction, I'm not going to fight those battles. There are 20% of things that I fight battles on. So for example, if you can get people headed in the right direction of, We should be doing an account-based something. We're heading the right direction. If you can get people in the right direction on, we might want to start a podcast. Great, you're heading the right direction. And at that point, you can then start to actually layer in this idea of, hey, what if we invited our target accounts onto the show? Or again, crazy concept, don't ask, just do it. And again, I don't say that from the perspective of like, just don't be open and honest. But the reality is I view it, and again, I've even shared this with my new boss. Like, I was hired because you want me to be the expert on this thing. So like, if it's a big organizational thing, like we're doing a brand messaging exercise right now, there's lots of opinions on how we frame the product and frame the brand within our larger market. And there should be. But this exact guest that we invite on our podcast, as long as we're creating good content that promotes the brand, I don't know that people care exactly who we have on the show. So, I don't think you even have to ask on that front. The last one this is one that I think is potentially the most controversial, but it's also the most effective. Again, try, maybe build it on your own. The marketing ladder started that way. I tried to convince former employers hey, we should build a podcast. And I got, I got the same objections that we often get. Oh, I don't have the time. Oh, how are we going to do this? Like, it's going to be so expensive. Uh, and like, after about two months of trying to convince that we should start it, I spent the $30 and I built my own podcast. What that resulted in is about a million dollars in revenue for the business I worked for. Because what happened is we closed, I've done a hundred episodes in the time that I was there, we closed four yeah. guests that had been on the show. Yeah. If I had been there for longer, I already had other guests that were in pipelines. I don't know what ended up with those because I, you know, NDAs and all that, but like the reality is I built it on my own. And my podcast was on marketing careers. It wasn't even the right topic, but the fact that it was building one-to-one meaningful relationships and genuine friendships with my target accounts They trusted me, and that trust transitioned to the brand. So again, if you can't get the approvals, build it yourself. And the other value is whenever you inevitably leave your organization, because that will probably happen at some point. You're probably not going to work at the same place for the next 40 years. That goes with you as a career asset that now you own.
1: Uh, I was going to say, that's a really, really good point. And I like the, it's more, I always hear people say, ask for forgiveness and not permission, Uh, which, you know, in in a lot of places that does help, especially when you're trying something new, uh, because a lot of companies, seemingly the larger they are, the more resistant they are to trying new things. Um, Well, this has been amazing. I think we have hit on a lot of different takeaways um, that go far beyond scrappy ABM. Uh, but talking about our challenges is just the first step, and nothing changes if nothing changes. Uh, in traditional therapy, the therapist will give the client some homework, but here at Revenue Rehab, we like to flip that on its head and ask you to give us some homework. So I always love to have you know key takeaways, something that people can do relatively immediately if they're all jazzed, they see the value in what you're saying, what's our one thing? What's our first step that we should take?
0: Build your list.
1: Um, pretty self explanatory, straight to the point. You got to know who we are trying to go after. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, So that is awesome. And I know you also mentioned uh, that I talked to Brad. Brad was episode 54. So if you are listening, once you finish this episode, jump back one or two uh, and listen to that episode because we had a great conversation around revenue operations um, as well. So a whole different aspect, but really, really good information. Um, well, Mason, I have enjoyed our discussion, uh, but that's our time for today. Before we go, can you tell our audience how to stay connected with you?
0: Yes. And if I can share one final piece, cause there's a yes. question that I want to bring back, which is who should you have as the host? So I'll answer that in a moment. Where can you find me? LinkedIn as uh, the main one. I do have a TikTok that I'm trying to, to make larger at Marketing Mason, Uh, And then I have my own podcast, which is The Marketing Ladder. So those are the three main places you can find me. Um, And then the last point of who should you have as a host. Ideal situation is either the CEO or the exact persona that you're trying to speak with. Because then it becomes a peer-to-peer conversation. And in the absolute ideal sense, you want someone, as I like to call it, that is tethered to the business. How many podcasts have died because the people that were hosting the show left the organization?
1: Yeah, there's one of my favorites that was in that situation. And I'm like, you could continue. Uh,
0: (laughs) Yep. And again, from that perspective, I've heard from a lot of people. My CEO is awful at talking. Like they are, they're a very product focused person. They're super nerdy. They're super good at that. But like, as far as like talking on a podcast, they don't have the personality for it. This is the final thought. Anything worth doing is worth sucking at for a little bit. Yeah. Just get some reps. You'll get better.
1: Uh, And that is so, so true. Like I even, you know, go back to, I mean, Revenue Rehab is a little over a year old now. And although I still think the first episode was really good, if I listen to it by comparison to 50 something episodes later, there's definitely just a different flow Um, and so yeah there is something to start where you're at and get better at it um because you know even when things suck sometimes they're still effective uh well awesome thank you so so much for joining me today uh and thanks everyone for joining us i hope that you have enjoyed my conversation with mason i can't believe we are already at the end we will see you next time
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scrappy ABM. If you enjoyed this week's episode, go ahead and give us a follow so that you don't miss a single episode. We drop every single Monday so that you can start your week off right. And if you're looking for additional great content just like this, go check out ScrappyABM.com. We're building a library of frameworks, guides, templates, processes, and tools so you have everything that you need to build a low-budget, high-impact Scrappy program. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of Scrappy ABM. This has been your host, Nathan Cosby, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one.